All right, good morning. This morning, we will resume uh, with our journey through Colossians. I know you guys are familiar that we started uh, early in the year with Colossians, and uh, now it's July, and we're finally going to finish up chapter 3. I know we've taken a few breaks along the way, and uh, I use the term journey because I look at it as an adventure, uh, and it has been one. Because when we are on a journey, we tend to discover new things. And I felt that our case, uh, I felt that's the case for this, uh, our journey through Colossians this year. Because myself, I've read Colossians a few times. However, this time, as we're going through it together as a local church family, I still discover things in a new light. That is the, the awesomeness of um, when it comes to scripture, right? It's, that's why we know it's life within the word itself within the Bible because it's not just like any other book. The actual verses don't change no matter how many times you read it, but the meaning for each word will jump, uh, for each, of, uh, each word, verse will jump out and grab us. The readers as if to say, at least in my case, to say, hey, listen carefully what I'm telling you now. Uh, an example that, that, that a verse that meant so much more for me this time as I'm go we're going through Colossians was from uh, Colossians 1, verse 27, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And if you are here consistently, you know that I've been repeating that, that verse again because it's, uh, I, I knew what this verse meant, but I felt like I had such a greater revelation this time around. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So everything that I am, everything that I have, that I, everything that I have done, everything that I will do, do, everything that I am is because the origin of life. Actually, no. The maker of the origin of life is within me. So this greater revelation that scripture is telling me is that the hope of glory, the spiritual fullness of Christ is within me. Live like it. Live like the truth of that knowledge that I have. So do not allow the things that I see, the things that I hear to impact how I live. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I felt even more encouraged this time around to live like it. Live with that truth. Live with that knowledge that's been revealed to a greater degree to me. And I want to say that to encourage you guys as you read through Colossians with me and if you ever read it again. Uh, so it's kind of like I used to know how to do addition, right? Two plus two. But suddenly now I know how to do calculus. Because that's what a greater revelation means is you, you suddenly see things in the new light, more complex, more complicated um, perspective. Uh, so I hope that's the same for all of us as we are going through Scripture together and, and seeing the things that we didn't see before. We, as I said, we will finish up Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And the passage we will work through this morning has to do with instruction on how we are to live as God's people within each of our own household. Uh, before we get into these verses, I want to do a quick recap on, uh, of Colossians from the beginning up through Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. So all of us can be caught up on how we get to this point. So Colossians started with a reminder that we used to belong. We used to be subject to the dominion of darkness. However, due, the, due to the amazing grace of our God, we were rescued into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, right? This kingdom of light with Jesus Christ as the king. So the rest of chapter 1, Colossians 1, had... Uh, general statements to help clear away any false ideas about Christianity because there are a lot of wrong, incorrect ideas about what is Christianity. And it's to help us realize that we are in Christ. Jesus, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, right? At the end of chapter 1, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And then it went on to encourage us to live in fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And also it went on to, talk, to tell us to avoid false teachings, or philosophy about Christianity that would distract us from our personal fellowship with Jesus. And as we live in fellowship with Jesus, as chapter 2 would go on to say, we will develop a spiritual fullness in Christ, which will be the foundation for our godly living, or this new self, as we are being born again, as we have a new self through Jesus, as we're being rescued into the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of light, because we have died to sin and made a life in Christ. And uh, chapter 3 would, say, would go on to say that because we have been made alive in Jesus, we're encouraged to get rid of the old self, right? Our old lifestyles, our old thinking, our old mentality. Because from the old life, the life prior to Jesus, 
it is as if we've been cleansed. We use the example of uh, taking a bath or a shower. We've been cleansed after realizing that we've, we've been outside playing all day long and sweaty and all dirty. So now we've been cleansed, a, a shower or a bath. So we have to put on our new clothes. Because you don't want to put on dirty clothes, right, after you've taken a shower. At least I don't think anyone wants to. Uh, and then these new clothes are the representation of the new characteristics of the image of God. They are, we talked about those compassion, humility, uh, forgiveness, gentleness, uh, forgive, uh, love, and um, patience. So that, that will take us up to verse 17. And now we're going to start on Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. This is where we will learn to practically live out the godly living in the relationship with those whom are closest to us in our lives. Uh, these are the relationship with our wives and husbands and children and parents and our bosses. So these are the relationship with people who actually see us on a day-to-day -day basis. So because they see us all the time, they truly know us the most. And I know there are uh, some single people here, but listen up because eventually you could be husbands or wives so listen, and then it's kind of good for us to know what to expect and what to do when we get to that situation. So, and in order to, um, to truly speak from experience and to provide practical suggestions, I have asked Vanessa to go through this passage with me. Uh, I can share biblically on how the wise are to live. But it's much better, right, to hear it from someone who is a wife herself, uh, as she can expound more on what the verse means to her as a wife. Because I can pretty much, I don't want to be the one telling the ladies what to do and how to do it, because I don't really know what it's like. But it's good for her to say, so then what, it mean, what the verse means to her, how it applies to uh, her as a wife, how to practically live it out as a wife, as a parent, and as a romantic co-worker in Christ, just to me, a co-worker for you guys, but a romantic co-worker is in Christ to me. So it's the same as parenting, right? We're all parents, and we're called to parent our children together. So this is supposed to be a team. So therefore, it's appropriate for us to, and necessary for us to hear from both parents, uh, or, or both spouse, husbands and wives. So with that, I've, I've give, given us a recap, taking us up to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. So now let's go with... Um, Verse 18. You ready? Come on up. So. Okay. Good morning. Yes, we're tag teaming, preaching on husbands and wives. Both of us are a little nervous about it because it's, it's a tough thing to preach about, um, especially knowing our own imperfections. But we felt like it's really important for us to share and just for all of us to know what the Word of God has to say to us about this area. So, most of you know this verse. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And so being a wife, uh, I, first of all, I want to just say that living as followers of Jesus is not conforming to the world. You know, some people may look at us as believers and they say, your kids are different. And that's a compliment. That's a good thing. Our kids should not look like the world. Our marriages should not look like the world. And as much as we want to fit in and blend in and just, it's really, really good when people notice there's something different and not just they love Jesus, but also in the way they, they husband and wife and in the way they raise their kids. Sorry. And so um, I just want to say that first, just I had to remind myself we're supposed to be against the grain. And so it is supposed to be different. So try not to get turned off to this as wives submit to your husbands. I know at times it can seem like a really strong thing and it's been abused and maybe perhaps mistaught. Um, uh, it doesn't mean we're inferior or weak. It doesn't mean that he's smarter. It doesn't mean we don't have gifts. It doesn't mean we can't use those gifts. It really doesn't mean you can't be successful in your work. Um, in the world, it doesn't mean you can't be a boss. It doesn't mean you can't preach. It doesn't you know? There's there's really very little limitations. It just we need to when you understand God's authority structure and the way in the kingdom of God, He views authority. It just makes so much sense. The husband is responsible to answer to God for your family. Um, 
God is putting the responsibility on the husband to lead the family, to hear him, to bring vision and direction for the family, to care for and watch over the family. Um, and it's actually a heavy burden at times. It's not meant to be heavy, but it can be, it's a responsibility. So it's not all that glamorous. Um, and so just understanding from God's perspective of authority, there's a safety and a protection and just understanding that the husband is responsible for leading the family and leading his wife and leading the kids. So I understand that. I feel like there's a safety in that. Um, I know it's against the culture. Um, it doesn't mean I don't bring input and lots of input. It doesn't mean, it's not about small things like what restaurant we go to. It doesn't mean like they always get their way or their choice. It's just the big decisions in your life and in your family's lives. Like, where are we going to live? Where is God taking us? What church do we belong to? Um, it's the big things that the husband sets the direction. And I find that it's very comforting to know that I trust that Hugh is going to hear God. When we decided to be elders, I trusted that Hugh would know that um, God was calling us. I could feel called myself, but I, he needed to know. When we decided to plant the church, we waited for a long time to hear God. We waited and we waited. So as a wife, sometimes you are waiting. You're waiting a long, a long time, and it's frustrating. But I was waiting for Hugh to hear where and the specifics and the details. And some of that waiting process was me just learning to wait and understand that God had his timing and allow Hugh to hear from God on these things. And so that's, that's kind of where I would say it refers to. Um, carrying this responsibility of leading your family, it also means that you're the gatekeeper into your home. Because of the authority that you carry or the authority in your home, the husband is the gatekeeper. Uh, I've, I've heard it taught as a gatekeeper. So what the husband lets into the family and into the home enters in to the family and can pass down to generations. So I don't mean to get too sobering, but I want to be honest that when like you see abuse or um, addictions pass through lines of families, you know, the husband struggled with something and then the kids do and then the kids do and the kids do. When we see sin and patterns like that kind of pass through generations, it's often because a door was opened by a husband who maybe at times didn't take his authority seriously. So I know that's kind of intense and serious, but I wanna say that. I wanna say that's what that means, that a husband is a gatekeeper. And just to understand that, it's not a controlling thing. It's not a um, domineering thing. It's a, it's a protection. So I don't know if that makes sense. Are you guys all good? Is that all okay? Okay. Uh, again, as a wife, I know it doesn't have anything to do with my worth. I don't feel held back. I don't feel I can't be strong. It doesn't have anything to do with my skills or personality. It's just understanding God's kingdom. And the husbands are too, and he's going to talk on husbands, so I won't talk on that. Um, so just practically, just to tell you guys some, as a wife, just to tell you things I've, I've learned as we've been married and still have to learn and still walk out, just know your husband needs to know that you look up to him. He needs to know that you respect him and that you trust him and that you think the best of him. I think, you know, at times we can, the enemy will come in and bring lies to us, like you can't trust your spouse. They don't really love you. They don't really have their best interest at heart. Um, they're just using you. You know, the enemy will bring division wherever he can. Or maybe he's going to leave like my earthly father left. You know, those kinds of things we bring into our relationship with our husband. Um, and just trust your husband. Trust him. Trust his heart. Trust that he has what's best for you. Don't question him like in that way because that's just the enemy trying to divide. Believe the best. And that goes for husbands and wives. Believe the best of each other. We really have had to learn that coming into marriage as we did. You know, we, we, we didn't always think the best of each other. And so just that's been a process and a journey. Think the best of each other. Don't uh, affirm him. Don't tear him down and be critical. Um, that can happen easily. So just be affirming. Allow him to lead. Give him space to lead. It's not always natural. Um, if you didn't have a dad who led, you know, it's not always an easy thing. So give him some room to lead. And just allow him to find his footing in that. And even allow him to make mistakes. You know, Hugh used to tell me, just let me make mistakes. If I make mistakes, then I make mistakes. So 
He needed that space also to be able to make a mistake sometimes because people were not perfect. And I think, if you know, as a wife also, we can know that our husband wants to please us sometimes. And so don't take advantage of that. So if your husband wants to please you and wants to make you happy, try not to, you know, kind of use that to your advantage, if that makes sense. Because ultimately, he needs to please God, and he needs to hear God. Um, I always tell Hugh, I feel safest when he's pleasing God and he's not pleasing me. It would be nice if he pleased me all the time, but it's nice. I feel more safe knowing that he's pleasing God. He's doing what God says. So for both husbands and wives, I just want to finish this section off with, remember that your spouse is not your ministry. Your spouse is not your ministry. God didn't commission me to fix you. He didn't commission Hugh to fix me and heal me. God does not, that's not what marriage is for. God is the one who heals and works in your spouse and brings about his plans um, in your spouse. He's the one who does it. So don't take them on. And I guess just lastly, when we're both submitted to God and we're both focused on Jesus and following Jesus and both of us are having our intimate time with the Lord, our marriage thrives. But when we're both focused on each other and, you know, what each other isn't doing and kind of negative and too focused on our marriage almost, that's when we bicker and we kind of nitpick and get critical and fight. So I would say focus on Jesus first. He's our all. He's our all. As a wife, our husband is not our all. He cannot fill all of our needs. Focus on Jesus. Go to him. Allow him to be your closest, you know, who you draw strength from, who satisfies you, and don't put that on your spouse because that's not possible. So is that okay? Okay, we're not done yet. That was husband. I actually, uh, just so you guys know, I didn't know exactly the details of what Vanessa was going to share. And I just asked her to share on that verse about wives. And, uh, you know, it's good that you expanded, uh, expounded, uh, or ex- talked a little bit more about the word submit, because submit has such a negative connotation within the church, and that's not what it's supposed to mean. That's not what it's um, in terms of, like, be di- di- dictatorship or uh, controlling. So, um, good job. All right, so now the next verse is husband. Husband. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So for those guys out there, if you see wives submit yourself to your husband, you think that's great, you know, you're feeling all relaxed, it's actually much, much tougher to be a husband. Not that I'm complaining because it's an incredible privilege for us, but I want to share that. And it's interesting that when, when uh, Paul was writing Colossians, he put hus- uh, wife first. Wife, Submit. To your husband. But then as you get to husband, as we uh, go in depth on this, we realize there's so much more to do as a husband. And I think this one verse does not do justice to what it means to be a husband. So I, if you go on the next slide, I actually pull um, the verses from Ephesians chapter 5 on what Paul wrote about husbands. And as you can see, actually there are two slides, so if you can kind of skip back and forth really quick. So this is just First half, and this is the second half, so if you, if you, if you don't mind going back to the, the last one. So, as you can see, I'm not going to read through all this, but there's so much in here in terms of what we are to do. Um, and at this point, when I say we, I'm referring to husbands. So, if you guys can, can hear that, what I mean is I'm talking about husbands. So, I want to point out that both in Colossians and in Ephesians, it starts out with love your wife. As in love, as in a sacrificial love. Love your wife more than anything. As in, Jesus loves us more than anything. Love your wife as in a biblical love more than your job, more than our hobbies or our spouses or our cars or how she looks. Love our wives more than ourselves. And we're instructed to make sacrifices for her, which is to give ourselves up for Christ uh, as, as Christ gave himself up for us, right? So this may mean giving up pursuing what we as husbands want to be or want to do. I'm not saying changing who we are as people, changing who we are as how God, who God has created for us to be, but what I mean is giving up maybe the dream house, maybe giving up the dream job, maybe giving up the hobby that we always wanted to do. If that takes 
us away from our family, or maybe giving up hanging out with our childhood friends who may be bad influence, childhood single friends who may be bad influence to our marriages. Maybe giving that up because for us together as a team, husband and wife, we're one. And that takes priority over people, a hobby, or jobs, or any other things. Because, right, love your wife and give everything up for her as Christ gave himself up for us. So um, what I mean, I don't mean to go homeless at all. You know, our jobs, our friends, our cars, and our, the houses, yes, they bring comfort. And we need them. Don't get me wrong. Don't decide to go and be homeless. We need them. But those basic things don't define who we are as people. We are followers of Jesus. We need to remember that. All right? For me, I think you guys know this. I work in the insurance industry for 24 years now, 23 years. See, I don't consider myself an underwriter. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus because I don't let my job define who I am. Jesus Christ is what's going to define me. Where Jesus is in us, the hope of glory. That's who we are, followers of Jesus. So that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to say, and I hope you guys get my heart. It's not about giving everything up. It's just don't let those things define us. And you know, our love for our wives and our family and the joyful, joyful willingness to place them over our own desires and our own needs, that's what it means to have a sacrificial love. Or that's what it means to giving himself up, uh, as you can see in that verse. So this does not mean that we idolize our wives and do whatever she tells us to do, as Vanessa said. You know, we love her. We sacrifice our desires and needs for her. We value her perspective, recognize her strengths and her weaknesses, value her opinions, and understand who she is and who she isn't. But we, as husband, must go to God when we make major life decisions. We should not and cannot make major life decisions in order to please our wives. As Vanessa said, we can never please each other enough. It may be enough for one season or one month, but the next season, they're going to want more. I'm not saying that they're being selfish, but you can never please someone. You want to please God, and that's what we are to do. So in terms of sacrificing, loving our wives, and, and uh, giving ourselves up for her, the balancing is on the other side to sacrificing for our families, for our wives, is, as you can see in that, to washing, wash her with water through the word, which is, as Vanessa has kind of alluded to, which is to gracefully lead our family spiritually, which means spending time in prayer, hearing from God, and understanding the vision and the path that God is taking us upon, knowing where we're going to go, and also leading her through gracefully lead our families practically. And practically means sharing that vision with our families and talking about what it means, how it's impacting us, so then we all will understand that I'm trying to hear from God, and this is what I felt, and this is how we're going to go about it. So that's what it means in terms of we, we love her, we sacrifice everything for her, but at the same time, we need to hear from God. We need to understand the vision, and we need to practically share that with our spouses so they understand. They can be on the, we can be on the same page together in terms of, hey, this is what we're going to do. An example that I, I didn't have this down, but I just wanted to um, share with you guys is, um, you, you may or may know this, you know, before uh, we felt God called us to plant, Vanessa, she heard it before I did, but it took me a while. And I actually had to spend uh, a couple days fasting to truly hear from God, is this what we want to do? Because I want to make sure, because if we're going to go and do this, it's on both of us, but I'm going to be the one that have to answer for what's going to happen. So it's, it's an incredible privilege, but it's an incredible responsibility. And the privilege is we get to lead, right? We get to help our families know the vision that God has given us and reminding them constantly of the vision that God has for our respective families. That's why I call it a privilege is we get to lead, we get to protect, we get to care for, we get to guide, we get to envision our spouses and our family. This is so we as husband can present her as radiant and without stain or wrinkle or blemish. 
right? So then we can do all those things. And it's a privilege. I mean, I, I, some people may not look at it as a privilege. I look at it as a privilege. It's a privilege to lead. And leading is about seeing the vision and reminding and encouraging people. So reminding of where we're going, reminding our family, this is why we're doing this. This is where God is calling us. So this is where we're going to go. Reminding, and then second thing is encouraging. Encouraging our family. Encouraging Vanessa, you know, to, to spend time in, with the Lord. So then encouraging our families in terms of teaching them about God. Encouraging them about why we're here. Why we move into this neighborhood. Why we go into this school. It's not because it's a great school. It is a great school. But we didn't move here for the school. And I'm just using us as an example. Uh, I know you guys all have many different examples of the things that you are doing and pursuing for God. So I just wanted to say that it's leading for us. A practical example of us is about reminding and encouraging our family and our spouses. And um, so then we can stay steadfast together. Stay steadfast on the course that God has set out for us. So for all of us as a family, we can together walk into the inheritance that God has set aside for us as a family. I'm not saying that I'm able to do all these things. I'm not, we're not saying that we're able to do all these things because we're still working on these uh, descriptions as husbands and wives. However, as husbands, at least in this case, these are the goals that we should all aim for. And that's what Paul was writing these for, is to give us instructions so that we all know what we are to do. Um, you know, and thankfully, right, there are verses for wives. <laughs> So, so then we don't feel like we have to do everything because we each need to know our roles and our functions. We are one in Christ, but we each have different roles and functions to each other. Um, so we work together in encouraging each other to live as husbands and wives. Uh, we work together as a team, encouraging and helping her. Because I encourage her, she encouraged me. We both help strengthen each other. Um, so, okay, I think I lost track of where I was. Okay, so we, so we as husbands, we, you know, we need to hear from God. We can set a vision and envision our family. That's a privilege. That is an incredible privilege. I know some people will look at it as a burden, a responsibility. I look at it as an incredible privilege that I get to hear the vision, set the vision, and envision our family to go where God has want us to go because he had so much more for not only me but for our family together and for our kids and for the generation to come after. Um, and like as Vanessa said, if she knows that I spend time with God, leading her, hearing from God, she will feel safe. She will be comforted in knowing that we are going somewhere. It's not because I can do something or because I'm able to do something based on my education or based on what I've learned or based on my skill, but it's because God is taking us. God is strengthening us. God is leading us, and he's making things possible. So that will be comforting for her to know because I can't do many things. And if she follows me, we wouldn't have gone anywhere. Um, but it's because I'm pursuing the things of God, and that will help us. And that will help her to feel safe, as she said, to feel safe and comforted. Um, so the, and then uh, that's, I, I don't want to spend too much time on that husband's. But it's, uh, again, as I said, I know husbands and wives don't apply to everybody, but it's good for all of us to know. And it's good, all, it's good for all of us to help encourage each other. For example, for me, I can encourage, you know, the wives or the children or the singles in terms of the things to pursue, the things to live for, the things to, uh, to look after as we're following Jesus and the people that we are to be. Um, I, think, I feel like I'm talking too fast here. Okay, so the next two verses, so let's move on. The next two verses are about uh, parenting um, within the aspect of the family structures. And I'll, I'll share briefly, and I'm going to ask Vanessa to share uh, a little bit also on her input as, as a mom. So children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, in some translations, and parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So the main thing here as parents is obey. There's only one thing on here, right? Obey. And if you look elsewhere in the Bible, it's just the same thing, obey. So firstly, obedience is a process. It's a process. For those with multiple kids, 
you will know some kids obey easier than others. Some kids are stronger, and they will push back more. But it's a process in terms of obedience. And these two verses in terms of um, children and, and, and parenting, they'll go together, verse 20 and 21, in terms of parenting, as we are able, as we as parents are to teach them to obey. But don't be harsh or dictatorial or controlling with them. That's what embitter means. Embitter means don't be harsh or sour or controlling. The best way to teach our kids to obey is for us, is for them to trust us. The best way for them to trust us is to build a relationship with our children. So obedience comes from trust. Trust comes from relationship. And as, if you have been here for any amount of time, we talk about um, relationship with Jesus. And the only way to have a relationship is to spend time with them. So time with our kids will build relationship, which will allow them to trust us, and it will make them obey us easier. Instead of just, you do this because I tell you to. When there's a trust and a relationship, they will obey easily. S easier. Easier. Um, you know, there are many things, as kids are growing up, they, they, there are many things that children don't understand or why they should or should not do something. You know, if, if they have their ways, <laughs> they will play video games all day, right? Not going to school, uh, just kind of do their own things. Uh, but it's for us, it's to teach them. Uh, an example is to tell, if we spend time with them and spend relationship with them, we can teach them to obey and tell them, hey, we have chores. I'm teaching you these things. It's to help you to understand what it is to persevere. An example we, uh, we use, and I, I feel bad for our kids, but we always use them as, as an example is Liam, you know, he loves soccer, but they have three practices a week, uh, and he's only 10. There are days that he doesn't want to go, but we try to help them. It's like, it's good for you. We tr trust us. It is good for you, so then you'll help. He will learn to persevere. He will learn to push through, so he will not learn to quit when things are kind of going tough. And that's what I mean in terms of if we build relationship with them, and they will trust us. And then when they trust us, we'll tell them things that even though they don't know or disagree with, they will still obey us. Because there are a lot of times we use things as, as Liam, trust me in this. Vanessa said that too to our kids. Trust us. And they're able to obey through a trust. is because of the relationship that we have with them and we share with them. Um, of, of who we are and what we have been through and when we spend time with our kids to build a relationship. Encourage them. When you speak life into them, speak big dreams and vision over our kids through prayer. As we spend time praying for our kids and we share with them of the things that God has placed on our heart for them. I speak that over each and every one of them at night. We do when we pray for them. Like this is who you are. This is who God has called you to be. So when you speak life and, and, and speak dreams and vision from God, don't just make things up. Speak the things that God has revealed to you. They will learn to trust you and know that we have their best at heart. We want them to be the very best that God has created for them to be. Um, and that will all, by doing all those things, will help them to obey the things that we tell them. So like submit and obey by themselves very harsh, right? But if we understand from a biblical meaning of what they truly mean and what it takes to help someone to submit to us or to have someone obey us, there's a lot of work that goes into it before we can do that. Um, all right, one last thing before I give the mic over to Vanessa is, is if I can encourage all of us, and I still need to do this often, is teach them to guard their heart. Luke 6 said this, the good man brings good things out of the good treasure of his heart. Teach them to guard their heart. Because we can't tell them everything. We can't teach them everything. But if we teach them to guard their heart and pursue after God, they will always take the right action. Because don't focus so much on what they do or do not do or what they say or do not say. Teach them to guard their heart. When we parent the heart well, we won't need to worry so much about their actions. The state of the heart is the root of all outward action, right? The good man brings good things out of the good treasure of his heart. So when we parent their heart well, they will grow up 
and do the things and pursue the things of God. Um, so, okay, I'm sorry. Let me go. I know I went a little bit longer. Okay, I'll just be a little more practical about uh, parenting, and then I think we're done. Are you guys still good? Everyone's still good. Okay, so like Hugh said, the Bible is clear. It tells us to train up our kids in the way they should go, and I just want to say there's no hands-off parenting in the kingdom of God. There's no, like, I have a hands-off parent. My kid is going to dictate what they do. I don't really actually have to lead them. Uh, they aren't born obedient. They aren't born with good attitudes and respectful and all the things that they need for life and for godliness. We have to teach them those things. And so while I would love to think that they would self-manage, they don't. They do not self-manage. So <laughs> just know that it's a very, you have to roll up your sleeves, get involved. Like, like Hugh said, it's relational. And you have to work with them, and it's tiring, and it's exhausting for everyone who has kids. Not to be discouraging. It's also fun and wonderful, but it's exhausting. We're not their buddies. You know, I see that a lot in our culture. Kids don't need a buddy. They don't need a friend. They need a mom and a dad. They don't need someone that confides in them about their marriage. You see that, too, some kind of unhealthy, you know, where the parent confides in the child about stuff going on. They need a parent. They need a mom and a dad. And they are desperate for that. They are desperate. When you see kids out of control, oftentimes no one is actually parenting them. And then the next thing down the road from that is they might get labeled with something. And now they're labeled. You know, some kind of thing that they have. But actually, they probably just in some cases, didn't have proper boundaries in place or anyone just teaching them. And it's sad. It's very sad. So, I mean, I'm passionate about parenting. I sometimes used to put boundaries in place for my kids, things just, just, to, just to give them an opportunity to misbehave so that I could correct them because we're training. So, for instance, at home, I'd say, I don't know if there's anything that I should say no about to Liam when he was a baby. You know, I don't really care. He's not doing anything wrong. I'll just not say no to anything. But then I got the counsel from a good friend of mine, tell them no about something, and then you'll see that there's misbehavior, and then you get the chance to discipline it. So it was almost like I would set it up for a chance for them to do something. When he was a baby, when he was a baby, like two, not a baby, a toddler. So... Boundaries are good. They're necessary. The kids need them, and it's to train them obedience and to train them to listen. And why does God care about obedience so much? Because he wants us to obey him. He cares about obedience. It's been said his, his love language is obedience. It's taken me a long time to get to this place of believing all of this, but I really do, and I'm convicted about it. God cares about obedience from us. As adults, we want to hear him and obey, right? We want to follow him. Abraham and his Isaac, famous story. God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, his only son, and Abraham obeyed. God didn't want Isaac to be killed. He didn't want him to kill his son. He wanted his obedience. He wanted to know that Abraham would do whatever God told him. That's intense. It's intense. I know it's intense. But that's what God wants. And that's, so when you think of why am I training my kid to obey everything that I say? Well, for one, it's for their good, so they don't run out on the street and get hit by a car or something like that. But for two, because you're teaching them what they're going to need when they're an adult, to follow God, to hear his voice and obey, to have a heart that says, Lord, I don't understand why you're asking me to do this, but I'm going to say yes. Even my kids, they always want to know why. Why? Why? And sometimes I'll indulge them. But other times I'm like, you actually don't need to know why. You just need to have an obedient heart. You just need to have a heart that's willing to say, okay, mom, if you asked me, I'll do it. Because isn't that what God wants after all? And so we're teaching that to our parents. It's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. And I kicked and fought when it came to parenting. I didn't want to be a parent. It's, it's leading. I didn't want to lead. Oh, hey, Xander, how did you get here? And so... <laughs> So I'm saying that, saying, you know, I didn't want to do that role. Sometimes as parents, we don't want to have to be the adult, but we have to be the adult. The kids need us to be an adult. So I think that's something that I just feel like in our culture is just not completely understood, and I get it. Um, and I wanted to share that with you guys, because God cares about these things so much. He wants us to have healthy families. He cares. He cares how our kids are. He cares that... 
how our marriages are. He's relational, you know. He cares a lot about it. So I'm almost done. Let me see. So we teach those things to our kids, not because we're on a power trip, but it's because we're training them to listen. We're training them to follow Jesus and to be followers of him one day. I think I covered mostly everything. Don't be shocked by misbehavior. You know, you talk to people oftentimes, and it's like, my two-year-old hit someone. What on earth? And it's like, are they a bad person? No, they're just a kid who hit someone, and they need to be corrected. It's, you know, so... Sometimes you see people get shocked by misbehavior when actually we should expect misbehavior because they're kids. Expect it, you know? Um, I, I, it's really a thing here, actually, is not thinking that kids will ever misbehave. And, I, you know, when I talk to the faculty here or if there's any kind of issue, not that there's ever been an issue with my son, but if there ever is an issue, I've had to say, well, well, that's, that's kind of normal boy behavior. It just needs to be corrected. So don't be shocked by misbehavior. We're in a culture that is shocked. It's okay. They do something naughty, then you correct them. And they, they do do naughty things. They do have selfishness in them. They do take people's toys. They do not want to share naturally. They do hit out of anger. So it's all those things we teach our kids. So when someone asks me, what do we discipline them for? Disobedience is the first one. Just like we give them a chance, though. We give them a chance. Are you going to listen to me or are you not? You know, give them a chance. Disobedience, a big one. Bad attitudes. Just like, I'll just use one of my kids. I won't tell you which one. But waking up every day of the week and taking it on everybody else when they're grumpy. Grumpy every day of the week. And so I didn't deal with it the first day. But by the third or fourth day, I'm pretty tired of it. And so that's, a, that's an attitude. That's a, you know, you're kind of grumpy and you're taking, it's fine to be grumpy, but then you're taking it out on everybody. So that's something, bad attitudes, blowing off something we told them to do. You know, when they're little, it's just about obedience, but when they're older, it's more complicated. Um, lying, being deceitful at all, we always give consequence for that. Um, doing something out of anger, like if the Bible says in your anger, do not sin. So anger is not in itself wrong, but we all see when someone's anger and then they lash out and they hit or they call a name or something like that. So those are things we bring correction and definitely discipline for. It's okay to be angry. You cannot hurt someone when you're angry. You cannot throw something when you're angry. So those are things that if you wanted to know, you know, what are things that we would correct our kids for. But as a husband and wife, um, it can really divide you parenting if you disagree on some of it. So I would just say, be united in what you're going to do. Kids are so good at knowing if there's a weak spot with the parents. They know who's the one that's going to be soft. Who's the one who's going to give in? Dad said this, but if I go to mom, I can get that. And that actually seems funny because we've all done it, but it becomes a big marriage thing if it carries on. And so um, be united. We, had to, we have different cultures, so it was very hard for us to be united in our parenting. Um, he was so much about respect, and I was more about, like, you know, I don't know what I was about, other things. Not much of anything, actually. I was pretty relaxed. So then we had to be more united. We had to talk, go away when the kids aren't there, and talk. What are our non-negotiables? What are we not going to tolerate as a family? Because it's different for different families. And we had things we wouldn't tolerate. Tantrums. We never tolerate tantrums, you know. What would we not tolerate? Lying. And then you know. And then you... Present a unified front to your children. I know if you don't have kids, this is boring, but it is important. Present a unified front to them, which we don't always do well, but they need you to be united or else they learn how to manipulate mom and dad, which we don't want to teach them how to manipulate. Okay, and lastly, just focus on, like you said, you don't want to embitter your kids. You don't want to be overbearing. Don't say no about everything. Harsh. Let the punishment fit the crime. You know, you hear people punish their kids in these horrible ways that just are so extreme and they're not even matching what they did wrong. So be aware of that. Um, and we can always tell you what we do, but you can also, it's just a principle of not being too harsh. Don't over-disciplining. Um, but also on the same way, if you find yourself getting angry and frustrated at your kids a lot, generally it's because you haven't you haven't made them obey and put the lines in that they need to have put in um, and kind of corrected them. So we give them a lot of grace. 
We don't, you know, we want to parent from a place of grace, give them chances. It's not like you messed up and now you're in trouble. Give them chances to correct their behavior on their own and parent from grace. Don't be swift to discipline. Um, I think that's something we've learned. You don't be swift to be like, oh, they did something wrong, I'm gonna discipline. Give them a chance. Um, and that's, I think that's most of it. Parenting is a, it's the hardest thing you ever do, obviously. So yeah, don't be quick to discipline, be on the same page, and be consistent. Be consistent. Whatever you do, you have to be consistent on doing it. Otherwise, they don't know what's going on. Some days I'm in trouble for this. The next day I'm not. If I get out of bed and I get, you know, maybe it's a spank or whatever, if I get in trouble because I got out of bed at night at bedtime, but then the next night it's okay for them to get up five times, obviously they're going to be very confused. So just consistency, which is the hardest thing, is being consistent. So I know that's a lot of small details, but we really wanted to share on husband wifing and parenting and hope that you guys be encouraged by it and it's okay so i think that's it i'll hand over to you to close okay we um <clears throat> we're trying to go through these verses but we just felt it's, it was good to um give some practical applications for everybody um you know the 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 colossians chapter three will go on to say talk about slaves and, and that dress mostly about workers and as employees we're running out of time, so we won't go into depth on this. But the main point for these three verses is about having an integrity in what we do. You know, we're not working for human masters, as I said on it. We're, we're, but for God. He is the one who's put us in our current job, our past job, and our future job. And he's our ultimate provider. And that's who we work for. Just keep that in mind. And he is our provider, and he is our only master. Uh, and... Um, and I just want to end by uh, saying that I know we've gone a little bit long already, but I just want to end by saying that these household instructions are for us as people of God to follow and live by. These instructions apply whether they were 2,000 years ago, 50 years ago, now, or 100 years from now. They still apply. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husband. It's still apply no matter where you are, no matter what culture you're in. From the biblical standpoint, we can, try, we can say sometimes, oh, well, I'm from Asia, so this is how we live. No, we are followers of Jesus. I hope you're not going to get sick of hearing me saying that. We are followers of Jesus, and that is the culture that we're going to live by. It's according to what Jesus has given us instruction to live by. So just keep that in mind. It doesn't really matter where or when. These are to do, but for us as people, these are the things that we are to live by. Just like the same uh, characteristics of, of gentleness, humility, um, patience, kindness, love, right? It doesn't matter whether you're in the West or the East. Those are the things that for all of us to put on and to, uh, to live by. So anyway, <clears throat> as Jesus, uh, Colossians started with a big picture of us belonging to the kingdom of God through the grace of God, Jesus. And as Jesus is in us, again, the hope of glory is within us. We're instructed to live differently due to his spirit within us. When his spirit is within us, it will be easier to live out the things that he has called us to be. You know, and then Colossians, then zoom in as we're giving instruction on how to live as people in general among each other. And then it also zoomed down in, into like how we are to have different roles within each family. So God always very, um, um, his manifold wisdom tell us all the big important things for us to do, to live among strangers, to be among ourselves, and to be among within our family. Um, so it's important to remember that we are equal in Christ. We are equal, but we each have a different role. We all have different functions among each other. So these are the instructions for family members within each household. Uh, they may seem simple, right? Each verse is really short. It's simple, but it's not easy to live out. This is when we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us have the grace and the wisdom and the conviction and the willingness to seek out help. I'll be honest with you guys. Seeking out help is not easy. 
growing up on my own, being independent, that's something that's within me. But I had to allow God to work it out and let the Holy Spirit to come in to, for me to ask for help. It's not an easy thing to do, but this is what, why God put us in a family so we can share and talk to each other, ask for help, and encourage each other and strengthen each other. So it's not all about receiving, but it's also there are things that we can give and help to each other. And um, so anyway, that's, um, that's, what we, that's what we have for the, this morning. Those are some of the instructions for us to live out. I know it may seem quick and easy to kind of brush through these verses, but I, I thought it was important for us to talk about these things. And again, for us to know, even though for me as a husband, I may not need to fully know what wives need to do, but it's good for us to know so we can help each other, strengthen each other, encourage each other, even those who are singles. You know, when you meet with someone who are married, you can help remind them again, hey, you're the husband. Set the vision for your family. You're the husband. What have God told you to do? Hopefully, someone will be encouraging and remind me of those things, and hopefully we are reminding, reminding and encouraging each other of those things also. So uh, that's what we have for this morning. We will uh, have a picnic next Sunday, and we're going to finish up Colossians chapter 4. We're going to do all of chapter 4 next Sunday. For those who think that we're going too slow, we're going to go through the whole chapter 4 next week. It's going to be five hours. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, with that, let's, uh, uh, I, I will pray for us, and we'll close uh, this morning. Dear Father, we just want to thank you for who you are, God. I just thank you for for what you have done. I just thank you for just your presence. It's just always so much more evident when we gather together as a family. We know that you're always with us, always around us. But when we gather together as a family, I'm so thankful for us to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to, to be renewed again in terms of who we are, understanding who we are in Christ, understanding that we are your people, followers of Jesus Christ, the almighty God, the creator of all things, the God of the universe. We love you and we honor you, God. We're just so thankful for what you have imparted upon us as a body. And we just want to praise it. We pray that we will go on from this place and be able to take the things that you have given us and exercise it so that we, others can see that we are followers of Jesus Christ. We're not someone uh, just defined by, by our jobs or who we are, but we were defined by you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we worship you. And we pray to all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.